This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 30th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. No parent cares more about the performance of a school or a school system or a state's educational ranking than they care about the educations of their own children. At the Cato Institute's Benefactors Summit, Steve Perry, the founder and head of schools for Capital Prep, described his experience as an educator and defender of school choice. So we're going to have some fun this morning. You guys look like a fun crowd. I know you looked at yourselves in the mirror and you thought, we feel like a fun crowd. So let's start with a children's book, right? Because you guys look like big fans of children's books. Uh, Oh, the places you will go, right? Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off in a way, it says. It's something that I think a lot about. Because being born on my mother's 16th birthday, third generation in poverty in public housing, and then ending up at an Ivy League school, I often wonder about the journey. When I think of what it is that we do, it feels like a journey. This week started with me at one of our schools in Harlem, where we had had a fight among two middle school girls. Now, if you are unfortunate enough, I mean fortunate enough to have middle school girls in your life, you know that they are the meanest human beings on earth. Sincerely, like rattlesnake mean. And so the day was as it typically is where you're just trying to get to the bottom of why she looked at her and she looked back at her and why looking is so much of a problem at this age. At the same time on this journey to here, I find myself working to engage African-American and Latino legislators to try and understand how it's possible for them to engage in school choice themselves but to act as more Democrats than they are black and Latino and school choice parents when it comes to their politics. It's a strange journey that I find myself on. But I have brains in my head and feet in my shoes. So I get to steer myself in whatever direction I choose. And then I go on and as part of the community that's trying to find ways to bring people together, I end up and really end up at an event with uh, Al Sharpton. And I'm wondering, this should be interesting. Because as I sit there, I look around and I see a room full of 1,300 people of color mainly, and I wonder aloud, because I don't typically wonder to myself, What could we do if we decided that we were going to lean on one issue as opposed to just be here to celebrate a man who's already celebrated himself often? (laughs) See, along this journey, what happens is I open schools, something that I thought that if I did, that I would just be celebrated, maybe like he is. But in fact, what I found is that People such as us, free thinkers, individuals who do not allow themselves to be pigeonholed by a single party or zip code 
are the threat to the very nature of so much of the coupling up in America. I am supposed to, based upon my zip code, not be here for real. In fact, I found that out because the woman that I sat next to in first class, good looking out, Cato. When she saw me, I commented on her jacket, which I said was very nice, which is a scary thing to do these days, gentlemen. I don't know how many ways you could say, I'm just, it's just a nice jacket. I just want just the jacket. In fact, I waited for her to take it off and put it in the overhead, and I just commented on it in the overhead. Y'all ain't going to get me on a Me Too. I'm not going out that easy. So we didn't make conversation after that. I avoided eye contact because, you know, and I kept my hand up like I'm married. I just wanted to say, is your jacket nice? But I'm not supposed to be here. I was informed by her in part because when I got off the flight and um, you guys were kind enough to have a guy sit there with a big-ass Cato written on a red hat when I landed, like, he's with us. She saw me again in the, in the Marriott, and she says, well, I see why you're here. Why? Well, you're with them. I was like, well, who am I with? You're with monopolists. I said, what do you do, Miss Presumptuous? I'm a professor at Yale in econ. So I'm black and male. Does, does, like, do I win? Like, am I more liberal now? Like, do I get my credentials back? The point is that for so many people, it's more important for them to stay in their silo than it is to solve the problem. The problem that we have is 91% of the children that we accepted in Harlem this year into the sixth grade cannot do math on grade level, 91%. We can't reform a system that fails at 91%. It's unreformable, it's broken. In fact, I submit to you, it's actually not broken. It's doing exactly what it was intended to do. It was never intended to be able to carry the weight of poor or minority. It was never intended to carry the weight of a current uh, economy. It was never intended for that purpose. In fact, the system that we are operating in was designed, if you can call it designed, in 1635. I'm not using any technology from 1635. I don't want leeches. But what has to happen is people such as us have to find ways to agree. And so as I'm going with feet in my shoes and a brain in my head, I stumble upon so many folks whose feet are definitely in shoes, but brains are not in their heads. Because what they want to do is maintain the status quo such that 
In many cases, the teachers unions get to keep their jobs. The only rub against school choice is that and that alone. You peel back every single argument and at the end of it is, but they're gonna take our jobs and that's it. The whole notion of privatization is one that they're saying, it's not the privatization of choice because the most important person in the decision of a child's school is not a blind government. In fact, when I talk to these folks who would call themselves liberals, do you trust the justice system with African-Americans and Latinos? No, 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 never that. It's the same damn system. The same people who created that system created the education system. They're the same guys. You think they took a light on, light on us in education? No. The plan was the same. So how do you then say that you are pro-choice when it comes to a woman having a child, but once she has the child, she has no choice where to send a child to school? The profound hypocrisy of these individuals makes it clear that either they're just lying overtly or they have no brain in their head. Because reason has to kick in at some point. De Blasio is saying that he's against testing. And his plan to make sure that there's equity in the testing schools is to remove the test. Okay. That'll definitely fix it. <laughs> Except for the fact that the highest performing schools in the city are charter schools. And those schools have the highest percentage of children who, guess what, pass the test. So a reasonable person who had a brain in their head would say, then we should increase access to those seats in which they are preparing the children for the seats that we're saying that none of children are prepared for. But the overwhelming majority of charter schools are not union. So he can't. He can't because he is listening to that woman who had the nice jacket who tells him what to think. And he is listening to people who are telling him what to think. But you, oh, the places that you will go. Because you understand that it is more important to be a free thinker than to be a party member. You understand that it's more important to push people who are willing to push the system beyond its comfort zone. Because at its core, change is life. Growth is life. Movement is life in all of us, no matter how much hair we do or don't have, no matter what color it is under all the other colors, want to live. We all want to live. No different than those two girls who were having a fight. They didn't want to fight. They allowed someone to paint them into the proverbial corner, like teenage girls often do. Did you hear what she said about you? No, what'd she say? And back and forth they go, just like the woman in the lobby, just like the woman with a nice coat, just like any of the people who say to me, you spoke at Alec, damn right. Why wouldn't I? They paid. <laughs> the only groups who try to control what I say are my friends, the Democrats. They'll call me. It's a really interesting conversation. It's awesome. They call me and they'll say, we just want to talk to you about who's going to be in the room. That's how it always starts. We want you to consider every voice that's in the room. And then they'll start to tell me, well, you know, we're going to have some people who are in a union. And, you know, we don't, we don't really want to offend anyone. 
awesome, you should call somebody else to speak. Because <laughs> if I don't offend somebody, then I'm not saying what I really feel. In fact, if you've been married, you understand that it's impossible not to offend. You didn't know that she was supposed that you were supposed to know that she wanted you to stop off and get the thing that you didn't even know existed. You didn't know. And you're apologizing at full throat. I'm sorry I didn't know, which is an insane apology at its core. How do you apologize for not knowing? But what I know is this. The children that we educate just want out, man. They just want an opportunity. We have 1,200 children on the waiting list at one of our schools. And so what I'm doing is I formed an organization called My Child, My Choice. And what that organization is doing is going up to African-American Latino legislators and saying, man, I know where your kids go to school. So don't sit here and tell me how you're so pro-public school. I know where your kid goes to school. And you ain't Catholic. And we're pushing these folks. We're pushing them to have a real conversation because if it's not good enough for your child, then how are you going to give it to somebody else's? And what we're finding is when we sit down with our brothers and sisters is that when they're being honest, what they're saying is that they've been lied to by the teachers union for so many years about what charter schools are, what school choice is. I'm a voucher guy. I'm on the whole other side. I run charter schools. But when, not if, when the vouchers become real, they can have this charter school. I'll start from scratch. I spoke out in uh, California at a charter school rally, 7,000 children. The person who spoke before me was Arnie Duncan. Oh, the places you will go. And so when he was done, I said, well, this is awkward because I disagree with everything he just said. In fact, I'm going to try and avoid using any of the words he spoke in his speech, including the. <laughs> so as not to confuse you for a moment to think that he and I are on the same page. We are at a time where we can no longer consider what we say change around the edges to be changed. You couldn't reform the postal system, just needed to create Amazon. Problem solved. Now you go to post office if you have to, and people are nice. Like, actually, hi. Oh, wow, you good? The American public school system has failed. This is a fact. By all intents and purposes, it has failed. And it's not going to get better. The unit of decision for a school is a parent. I have two sons, both of whom wake up every single day to prove to the rest of the world that I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to education. They are convinced of it. I think they huddle each night. There's no way that they just happen upon some of the decisions that they make. I actually think that they're researching it. 
ways to undermine dad's credibility. But I know that I'm the person who should be deciding where they go to school. No one else. And no person or parent should ever be limited by their zip code. Because in fact, in 1954, the United States Supreme Court made it very clear that that was unconstitutional. But the teachers union, where you to listen to them, would say that they're against charter schools because they're segregated. But the opposite of segregation is choice. And when you choose to go to a school, you have by design limited the idea of segregation. But when you don't have brains in your head and you only have feet in your shoes, what you do is you just take them and you follow them wherever they choose. And so when I go to the state capitol and I talk to individuals, as I did in, in New York this time, and I speak to a person who calls himself an educational advocate, a person of color, his name is Lou. I ain't going to hold it back. So he says, we want more transparency in charter schools. Funny you should mention that. So I explained to him that in order to open a charter school, the first thing you must do is have the state government actually give the right to have charter schools. So there's that. And then you follow that up with a process where you have to get community support, letters of support, signatures, and the like. And then you have to put together a proposal, which is reviewed by people who are appointed by the community. Then after that, you get another swing, they get another swing of the pinata. Because even if you're approved, you're only approved to move forward to submit the application. After you do that, the public, or really the union, can come forward and try to torpedo you again. And in my case, they'll even put your picture on really cool signs, which I thought was really dope, because I was like, wow, that's cool. Can I have one of those? And they got really angry. I was like, it's my picture, damn it. Like, if you put, took my picture, I want to see it. Like, it's a really big picture. They put, like, a line through it and everything. Made me feel really famous. I was like, that's cool. I would have decorated my living room with these pictures. This is me. Like, come on. I've arrived. Like, I'm a slogan. They even came, like, on a rhyme about me. I thought it was cool. Go me. They didn't want to give them up. I told them I'd pay for it. Then after that, after you finally get approved and you finally get to school, there are audits every year. All the meetings are public. I said this to the legislator. And he said, and I'm not even joking. He said, you think you're going to explain that to me and it's just going to change my mind? And so another legislator who was there said, so in other words, what you're saying is, don't go bothering me with the truth. My mind is already made up on a lie. In order for us to move this forward and continue to move it in the forward in the speed that we are, we have to find out what ties us together, not what separates us. Simply put, whether you're a grandparent or a parent or just someone who cares about our country, we have a fundamental need to put in place an education system that can teach children to participate in the economy that is coming their way. When I'm telling you that it's bad in the trenches, I cannot overstate it. So what happens is typically when kids are coming to us in the sixth grade, a couple of our schools are six to 12, and I'm telling you that they're 99% of them can't do math at grade level, 95% can't read at grade level. What I'm talking about is that they couldn't read Dr. Seuss. 
a 12-year-old who could not read Dr. Seuss, who wouldn't be able to be engaged and inspired by the words of Dr. Seuss, wouldn't be able to laugh along with his wordplay, wouldn't understand that those are not really words because they cannot read them. But what is happening is even worse than that. What we're experiencing is something I refer to as a learning plateau. So if you'll stay with me for a moment, most of the students are coming in at the sixth grade level. I mean, at the um, two grade levels below or at the fourth grade level. So one would presume that if you get them at the seventh grade, they come in the fifth grade. If they come in the ninth grade, they come in seventh grade, you get it. But what's happening is they become recalcitrant at around the sixth grade. So the learning slows almost to a stop. So when we're taking kids in the 10th grade, we're getting them at about the sixth or seventh grade. The gap continues to grow. To the point where they graduate high school, if they're fortunate, reading at the ninth grade level. What are the employment options for people there? What places will they go? Because they will only have feet in their shoes. It doesn't have to be this way. In fact, this is one of the few topics that I could take this exact same conversation and take it to a black church. This exact same conversation and have it on conservative radio. It's the same conversation that I would have, I don't have to even change the words because most people want school choice. Think of how many of your cities, especially your largest cities, are literally insolvent. Your school systems are done. They cannot produce the revenue necessary to pay for the benefits that they've already agreed to. And there are more to come. How many more bankrupt school systems do you need before you think, you know, we should probably stop here? This is not even a social security conversation where we're saying in 20 years, it's going to, no, now. How many more? What is it going to take for the clarion call to go out to say, all right, we give. Because it's not just minority and poor children. Doug Ducey asked me to come out to Arizona a couple years ago and to speak to the um, Phoenix Business Society. I'm not sure what the name of it is. And when I did the research, I found that 60% of the Arizonans who graduated did not qualify for entrance into either of the state's colleges. 60%. That's not black, that's not Latino, that's not poor. So how much worse does it have to get before we say enough is enough? Before we push hard for full vouchers, period. Many times when I speak to large groups of people who would count themselves as Democrats or liberals, 
They'll say, I'm not for vouchers. And I say, you was a lie. You are. You're for Medicaid, Medicare, Section 8, AFDC, student financial aids, and the GI Bill. All vouchers. Pure, simple vouchers. Well, you want a separation of church and state. You better tell Notre Dame that then. Better tell Brigham Young that then. Better tell Boston College that. And on and on and on. Because they are being told by someone who they believe to be an authority who may be wearing a nice coat, they don't use the brains in their heads. And what they do is they allow themselves to be caught up in the very vortex that they would claim to be trying to work against. De Blasio wants people to see him as somebody who's a unifier, somebody who's working towards racial equity. But the best poverty program ever established is a solid education. So the places that I have gone have been led by the education I had access to. It's the programs that were put in place to improve my ability to read, write, and compute that have made it possible for me to read through the bull of a New York Times or a Washington Post. And to see that all they're ever gonna do on NPR is talk about how bad choice is. As they all enjoy choice. So much so that they don't even recognize it. The level of privilege that they're overlooking is stunning. I send my child to the neighborhood public school in Farmington, Connecticut. Awesome. So you as a white woman who's upper middle class are sending your child to another school with upper middle class white people? The horror. How do you deal with that? Man, I feel your pain. Because for the rest of us, we can't seem to figure it out. These are the same people who will say, we want a second chance society. But then if they hear that I've taken money from a billionaire, they say, he takes money from billionaires. You are damn right. I want to take more. If you know more, hit a brother up. Because what I'm doing is I want to take the opportunity to expand what it is we do to serve more children. We want to tax them. At 60%. But we don't trust the government. Well, then who are you giving the money to? We don't want privatization. But you support the YMCA. You do know that's a young men's Christian association, right? Not anymore. Okay. You support the Salvation Army, right? See, when you don't have a brain in your head, you're allowed to make decisions and statements that no one ever holds you accountable for. So when you find yourself in a room full of people without brains and head, only feet in their shoes, you have to be very, very careful because they will take you in any direction they choose. You free thinkers. 
are among the most important people in America because you are the ones who push back on a system regardless of what side it is. And you say, we know better. We know better. The data is clear. America's public school system has failed, period. It has failed. It's not failing. It already did. It already did. Game over. Tom Brady did it to you again. <laughs> Say what you want. Short was a pass interference. It sucks. Game over. We have the opportunity now, though, because on all sides of this, whether you be black, Latino, poor, white, middle class, upper middle class, parents want choice. What they don't have is the information. What we lack is an information program that will allow people to understand that that which they've been told is simply not true. It's simply not true. The statements that are made about school choice and charters are just not true. And the parts that are, are not an insult. You want to privatize education with the Waltons. what they do wrong? These people are giving you money so that you will, and then you try, they, they, there's no logic after that. So someone's giving me money to make money off of me? Isn't that the opposite of making money when you give it away? We are at the vertex of an opportunity that no generation has ever had before, where parents are aware that there's something else out there. See, because until about 25 years ago, if someone told you that poverty impacted a child's ability to learn, that parent education impacted a child's ability to learn, zip code, and all those other things, resources, you'd have to believe them. But then schools like ours opened 15 years ago to send 100% of our graduates to four-year colleges every single year, including this year. Every single year, every single child who's ever graduated from one of our schools has gone on to a four-year college, always. So committed to they are to this twisted narrative that they have to do something that they would accuse people like you of doing, which is to be racist. Because what they have to say is you've chosen those kids as if there's some magical neighborhood where only smart black kids are. And I know them. Because regular kids of color couldn't possibly go to college at a rate of 100% because that's a rage against the machine. The very people who claim to be on our side, the ones with the nice coats, those people are working against us. And I am like water to a witch for them because I call them out. Randy Weingarten is a, a woman who is a president of a teacher's union. And... We were having a conversation, we'll call it. <laughs> and she said to me, you know, Steve, I think you and I could find a way to work together. I said, you know, Randy, I don't think so. <laughs> she said, no, 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 I really think we could. I said, I really think we cannot. I said, because you support adults who hurt kids and I don't support those people. I support kids who don't want to get hurt. Well, that's not fair. Eh, it's true, though. <laughs> So then she says, she says, well, you know, I think we have a lot in common. I have Al Sharpton's number. 
I was like, what the hell does that mean? Alan's not the king of all blacks. Like, what do you think we're dealing with here? And she shows me her phone. I'm like, I don't give a damn about your phone. Why are you showing me this? So then when I called her and her policies racist, she was like, because ah! that's like throwing water on a witch when you say to a liberal that sending children to school based upon where they live when you know that where they live is a proxy for their race and economic circumstances and you say that you keep them there because it's the best thing for them. If you said that, which I suggest you not, <laughs> you'd be lambasted. You'd be crucified. You'd validate everything that everyone has ever said about this group. Except you're the group that's actually trying to stop that. See, you and I, at the end of the day, have one of the same problems. It's not explaining things to our wives. It is that people don't always understand the work that we do. They don't understand what we stand for. And as a result, we become targets. What I've understood about what it is that you care about is the ability to think for yourself. Who doesn't want that? I could at least respect the teachers union in particular if they just were honest and said, listen, here's the deal. Our big beef here is not that we're against charter schools because we actually run charter schools. In fact, the UFT, United Federation of Teachers in New York, ran two charter schools. Um, Shocker, right? People who've been working against them actually have two of them themselves. Well, had two because one performed so poorly that they had to shut it down. Imagine that. People know so much about education. Suck at running schools. If they could at least acknowledge that, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. We just see you cutting into our bottom line, chief. If you could just not do that, can we work something out where all your teachers are unionized and then we get our cut and as long as we get our cut, we're cool? At least, I mean, I'd sell them kick rocks, but you understand the point. At least I could respect them. Their side has done a much better job than our side of telling their lie. We have the truth on our side. We have the numbers on our side. But what we allow them to do is to create pity around the idea of the underpaid teacher. The loss of resources. It's just not true. I had a debate with a uh, colleague of mine who's of color, an African-American man who runs a charter school, and he was telling me, we need more resources. I said, to do what? To pay teachers more. Okay, are you suggesting to me that the highest paid people are the smartest people? Because that's not true. Present company excluded. There's not an ounce of research that says paying teachers more or less improves student performance. There's not one ounce of research, but that's a prevailing statement because we allow that to exist, despite the fact there's no data to support it. School choice does not undermine public education. In fact, it's the root of public education because the public is making a determination of what they want. So as I close, again, congratulations on the places that we will go when we start to have honest conversations about what is stopping us from where we need to be. This needs to be a country where every single child 
regardless of their circumstances, regardless of their family's income, regardless of their race, regardless of their religion, regardless of their region, has the opportunity to go to the best school for them. And I submit to you that even the schools that we've opened in the past year and the ones that we will open next year are already obsolete. We are talking about children for whom technology, they are indigenous to technology. You've seen children as small as two years old work their way through your, your iPhone and you're thinking, I don't know how she just did that. But thanks, because I was looking for that email in the worst way. <laughs> the market, if allowed to exist as it should, will produce academic experiences that will blow our minds and raise our children to think beyond borders, to push themselves to imagine beyond anything that we've ever done. We are still reading textbooks that you read when our kids can read. We are still teaching in schools that look very similar to the schools that you attended. When our children are living in an entirely different world and the rest of the world is living in it with them. Our schools, I submit to you, in many ways are holding them back. When we open up the market, those 1,200 kids that we have on a waiting list for one of our schools, each one of them will be monetized. Each one of them will come with a voucher. So I won't have to wait for the state government and the politicians to give me another seat because the community already made it clear that they want them. And that is the root of public education. Thank you so much for your time and consideration. Steve Perry is the founder and head of schools for Capital Prep. He spoke at the Cato Institute's Benefactor Summit earlier this month. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.